0: rather than else's kids. Bloody horrible.
1: But you, cycling
2: UK,
0: you're the anarchist.
2: He just fit the stereotypical villain in this story quite well, doesn't
0: he, really? So that's why they're selling the expensive ones, because they've still got money.
3: Oh, that's it. I think the judge had a really bad camping experience.
5: And three hundred and sixty five day returns
3: hello and welcome to the Single Track world podcast. I'm Hannah Dobson, the managing editor, and I'm joined by our publisher Mark and tech content chief Benji and we also have Sophie Gordon, who is cycling uk's off-road campaigns officer, and she joins us today for some important chats. so hello everyone
1: Hello, yeah uh, happy New year and everything.
3: yeah, but it's a long while
1: ago. well. It- It's the first it's the first podcast of the year, so we we get to say that, don't we? (laughs) Uh,
3: And and hello, Sophie. Hello. How are you doing? Um, And well, we're kind of sad to have you here because you're here because of really annoying uh, news. Well, certainly I find it very aggravating. So um, tell us about Dartmoor with no swear words, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
2: do my best. yeah so basically uh, I'm sure a lot of you will know that there's been a sort of long accepted public right for people to wild camp on Dartmoor. It's sort of the only place in England um, where where you still could um, and you know in the sort of way of people doing a long backpacking trip or, or on their bike and going really lightweight, leave no trace, sort of responsible wild camping and that's been fine for many many years um, but then there was this one landowner who decided he kind of wasn't okay with that and and put up a legal challenge um, to say, well, actually, this this right never existed in the legislation. And, you know, this just shouldn't be happening. Um, So the judgment for that just sort of came through last week. And he was saying it never existed. The Dartmoor National Park Authority was saying, well, there's a a right of public recreation and recreation is a broad term and it can include camping. Um, It's not specifically excluded. Um, But they lost that argument. So, unfortunately, now the sort of last bastion of, of wild camping in England is no
3: more. Uh, well, I take it from that... Oh,
1: sorry, sorry. I was just going to... How is wild camping not recreation?
3: Well, that's it. I think the judge had a really bad camping experience and doesn't like camping. thinks <laughs> <laughs> it's not fun at all. Must be, yeah.
1: So who is the guy who owns it? It's, it's a private landowner, isn't it, and owns uh, literally all of Dartmoor?
2: Not all of it, no, um, but it's quite a large sort of area of land. I think it's used as a shooting estate um, and that sort of thing. Ah,
1: shooting. Ah, All becomes clear now.
2: (laughs) So shooting is recreation? Apparently so, yes. I'm sure that's all legit and fine, yes.
3: They probably don't camp.
2: And I suppose his argument was that... During COVID, obviously, we did have some instances of kind of people fly camping and parking it by the side of the road and leaving rubbish and lighting fires and that sort of thing. So you can kind of see from his perspective that he's saying, well, you know, this, they're just leaving a mess. This is very irresponsible. And I don't think that this counts as you know, recreation. Um, but that's such a small proportion of people. I think it seems really unfair to then pin that on everybody, you know, that all these kind of kids doing the 10 tours challenge and going out walking for a long weekend and, and camping and there have never been any problems with that and now they've sort of lost the ability to have that experience unless they can go around and ask permission from all the landowners and things just really makes it complicated
1: so I'm, I'm not that familiar with dartmoor i've been there a, f- a few times but in terms of facilities that are there does it is it is there a dearth of campsites is there a problem with actual facilities
2: no, i think there are a fair few campsites around um but it's more sort of if you're going out into the more remote parts of the moor um, right up onto the middle then that's sort of the only way especially if you're on foot obviously if you're on a bike you can go further in a day but um yeah if you're on foot that sort of means you're stuck doing day walks that are accessible from from the edges from a car park um rather than being able to kind of go and, and go across the whole thing really and um, so yeah it now means that Dartmoor is effectively it's the same kind of camping rights as the rest of England. Well, no camping rights, as in it's a trespass against the landowner unless you go and ask their permission first. And I mean, in reality, I imagine, you know, it, it doesn't really change the situation hugely because, you know, we know that in other parts of England, people do go and responsibly while camp, leave no trace, they leave early, nobody notices. In, in remote parts, and, and it's kind of okay. So I imagine that people will keep doing that, but it's more the symbolism of it. I think that you know that was was a sort of right that was accepted, and, and now it's gone.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask that. I was I was going to ask. If, sorry, Hannah. Well, I was I was going to ask. Um, is this going to make the blindest bit of difference to bike packers anyway? And I guess you've just answered that in a kind of a way <laughs> that it's. It, I mean, who's going to police this? Well, who does police it in the rest of the country I mean, you know like you say you know we kind of just do it anyway
2: yeah i think if you're sensible about it obviously you know if you're going right near to someone's property and you could be causing a, a disturbance I, I think people are sensible enough usually not to do that but if you're sort of out on the hills and, and out of sight and discreet about it and don't leave anything um, then yes in, in reality i don't imagine that it's going to cause a problem Um but it's just the opposite direction to how we should be going in terms of access to national parks i think really um you know a few years ago there was this sort of big review of national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty called the glover review Um, and you know he was saying we need our national parks to be our most sort of welcoming and accessible green spaces and they they should be the the parts where people feel they can they can go and explore um and Yeah, he even recommended that all children should have a night under the stars in national parks. And you think, well, that's just been made a little bit more difficult in this situation, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I know that lots of people do go out and camp anyway, but there's definitely something in the feeling that having confidence that you know it's okay to be there versus, well, I might get away with it. Um, Like I've taken my kids out camping and then I really don't want to be disturbed in the middle of the night and have somebody come and say no you've got to get up and move and like because that would be quite a frightening experience for yes, my kids and and I think there's a lot, a lot of people who maybe don't feel that welcome in the outdoors anyway so if they've got like a oh I'm doing something I'm not allowed to do strictly speaking then that's a further deterrent from from getting out there. So it, yeah, it's a totally it is against the Glover report and isn't going to help people in in that sense. So yeah, I'm real and the whole like oh, landowner that runs a hedge fund and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that just he just
2: fit the stereotypical villain in this story quite <laughs> <Yes>. well, does not he? Really? Yeah.
3: So,
2: and so what uh, do we do?
1: What do we do from here then? What's the next step if if this is gone is that is there a I mean it's only ju- the judgment's only just come out I guess or so we're still digesting it but what's the next step then what do we what do we do if we want to try and protect our access to the outdoors
2: Well I'm pretty sure that it won't be the end of the story because um, there was a sort of campaign group called The Stars Are For Everyone who who want to keep pushing this and I think the National Park Authority are sort of looking at their options and whether they think they've got the funding to sort of challenge the decision and um, so, yeah, I think it could well kind of rumble on for a while. And um, but yes, we'll just sort of have to see what happens here. But I think it's quite useful in a way that it's opened up this conversation about what are our national parks for and what kind of activities should count as, as recreation. And obviously that can also include kind of cycling and mountain biking and, and where should they be allowed to happen? Because that was another part of the Glover review that they said, oh, we should look at sort of areas of open access land um, and whether they should be expanded or what kind of activities should be there. Um because, you know, there are, well, Dartmoor, for example, as well, there are loads and loads of surface tracks that crisscross the whole moor, um, which aren't bridleways, but are on open access, open access land for walking. And you think, well, it just kind of would make sense that you were, you were able to cycle on those. It's not going to do any harm.
3: So the I think I'm right in saying that Dartmoor has been A fairly hostile place for cycling of late and that there have been um, some campaigns to stop people cycling on some of those kind of unofficially accepted routes and I'm not sure that you even strictly speaking allowed to cycle to wild camp you might have to walk or ride a horse or something like that The, the, the cyclists were othered in Dartmoor so I'm sure Cycling UK has written about some of this so maybe you could fill in some gaps in my knowledge there.
2: Yeah, so technically, um, I mean, there are a few miles of bridleways um, on Dartmoor, which don't kind of link up very well. But anywhere off those, it's a criminal offence to ride your bike. Not tr- not trespass, a criminal offence, which seems bonkers, really. Yeah, including on these kind of gravel tracks, um, because they just have these very restrictive bylaws. Um, and you think, well, fair enough kind of prohibiting off-road vehicles or something that could cause a lot of damage but um yeah lumping then cycling in, in with motor vehicles just seems a bit crazy really so and this this is they've been there for a long time Um this is actually the 25th anniversary of a mass trespass that Cycling UK then CTC held in, in 1998 to sort of protest when these bylaws are being introduced um, and now this year they've come to reviewing them and it looks like they're going to stick with the same ones um, and we've been sort of Keeping right to them and responding to this this consultation at, at Cycling UK and saying please change this bylaw, it's ridiculous. <laughs> just you know, s- think about a sustainable policy of okay, where is it fine for people to cycle, where it's not going to do any harm, not going to do any damage. Let's just go on that basis. Um, but no, they seem to want to kind of stick with the status quo there. So we so may well be. So is that well the national uh... park?
3: Is that the national park's bylaws that? Yes. Um, so on the one hand, their bylaws restricting access to people on bikes, but on the other hand, they're going to court and asking for retained access for people with tents. Is that right?
2: Well, that's the strange situation, isn't it? They're sort of very fiercely protecting one form of recreation and then clamping down on another form of recreation, which yeah seems very strange to me. I don't think it makes Mm. that much sense.
3: I hope that doesn't uh, affect their potential war chest, I guess, because um, maybe cyclists might be more reluctant to contribute to campaigning for Camping access. If they're not gonna um, give riding access, that like, it would be a division between the recreation groups. Um, potentially yeah, that's there, an
2: interesting point. Yeah. Hmm.
1: This is all insane. I had <laughs> no idea. This is just <laughs> such a mess, isn't it? I had no idea that there was criminal bylaws in place down there. I mean, because I mean that's really important to to know because my attitude to um, riding elsewhere in the in in the in England, I guess, is that, you know, it's trespass is not a criminal issue. No. It's 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 um, you you can't be prosecuted. I mean, I I the big bugbear of mine is when you see a sign saying trespassers will be prosecuted. And I just scream at the sky and go, no, they won't. You can't. <laughs> but down there in Dartmoor, you can. You can be prosecuted for actually riding your bike on certain trails. That's that's insane. this is such a mess. How do we fix this?
2: And I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who live near Dartmoor and ride there a lot and are kind of screaming at this, going, hang on. You know, I ride on those, and I've never been caught for it. And I imagine it's the same thing of, if you enforce it, does it matter, people might say. Um, But again, I I think it's just the principle that national parks were sort of created to be for everybody and for the benefit of the nation. Um, So it just doesn't seem right that you can then be criminalized for just cycling off a, b- a bridleway somewhere.
1: It seems so British, <laughs> all of this, They're just the, the level of administration and, and needless bureaucracy. And and in that sort of vein of Britishness, I, I get the feeling that the response to this, you can't wild camp here is going to be an awful lot more wild camping. I, I think like you say, Sophie, that the issue has been raised. And I think what we're good at in this country is going, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of people who are planning their their uh, their expeditions now over Dartmoor and good on them, go for it. It almost persuades me to dig out the tent. and <laughs> Go for it.
3: And there's a, a potential side effect here as well, like you said, that if you can't wild camp in the middle of Dartmoor, then you're restricted to the edges more. And that's going to increase pressure on those tracks that are around the edges because everyone's going to be forced to just do little day trips or whatever. So that's actually probably worse for the environment than spreading the load over a broader area.
2: Exactly. And I think that's one of the points that the National Park was trying to make. That Yeah, otherwise you restrict people to just doing kind of fairly short loops that they can manage in a day um, from the accessible bits and and from the car parks rather than spreading them a bit further. And so... Yeah, and I I can understand that some people would say, well, no, national parks should be, they're protected spaces and we need to look after the nature and the wildlife and the habitats. And of course we do, that's really, really important. Um, But I don't think it needs to be mutually exclusive. And that's where the education comes in, isn't it? It's so important. And that's how we stop the sort of, the fly camping or the the littering Mm. and and the things that kind of make landowners feel like, no, this is gonna be a problem. If we sort of teach people about responsible access and and how to do this and care for nature while you're doing it, then that seems to be the best way, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to to use um, the US as a good example of anything, but um, (laughs) I I spent four weeks out there in the summer, mostly camping and in a variety of different um, land designations. Um, And their national parks are more restrictive, but they all have specific campsites um and wherever you are in the states you'll you'll end up finding a pit toilet like in the absolute back of beyond there is a pit toilet so there's no need for people to be like leaving mess and stuff about there's a very clear message that is you take your rubbish in you take rubbish back out with you but like there are actually facilities provided that are kind of non-disruptive you don't need to have infrastructure and running water and that kind of thing and it seems to me in the UK, we just we blame people for leaving a mess in the countryside, but we don't actually facilitate um, kind of access in the same way that we do that they, they do in the States. Um, I suppose that's like it, whole isn't a different it? mindset.
2: In Scotland, we can say to people, this is how you should walk, responsibly. Because you're allowed to do it, <laughs> whereas in England you kind of can't give people official guidance on this is the correct way to wild camp because it's just well you shouldn't be camping. Mm. Um, so Yeah, it's kind of. Well, hard that's to get that's a an, an interesting
1: that's an interesting point, isn't it? That um, um, with Cycling UK and Sophie here, you you are the mouthpiece for Cycling UK. Here's here's the thing: from our point of view at Single Track, we're always very very careful that we don't break the law, that we don't do something and encourage people to do anything that's illegal. We're very very. Careful that any route guides we publish, we have to make sure that it's on bridleways and there's Mm. no cheeky trails off the side. We all know that we'll do the little bits off the edge now and then, but we don't speak up about it. We don't do anything like that because you know we're very very careful here at Single Track. But but you, Cycling UK, you're the anarchists. You've done mass (laughs) trespass. You're you're you. So uh, is is that where we're going? Do you, do you, do you anticipate any more organised trespassing in, in the future around this? Or is that something that Cycling UK left behind in 1998?
2: I don't know. We'll have to find out um, because, yeah, we haven't had the official sort of published bylaws yet from Dartmoor. So uh, we'll have to see what happens if they've decided to keep them the same. But oh, I think I like overall you sort of have to, we've got to keep making this point that, current system of access is ridiculous and we've been sort of doing that with some of the long distance routes that we've been developing like king alfred's way of of sort of illustrating look we'd love to take you along this lovely path but we can't because even though it looks fine it's a footpath and therefore we have to go around this road bit Um, and just sort of yeah keep keep reminding people of that that it's it's all a bit daft but i was maybe quite... that's what we
1: should sorry that maybe that's what we should do Hannah, with route guides now we should go in 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 the articles we should say and this is the route guide here on the left you will see a nice footpath that you absolutely can't ride down
2: yes it looks like <laughs> a very tempting
1: <laughs> little secret, but you mustn't go down
3: there <laughs> yeah. to say, i would be all up for that because i totally believe that there should be a presumption of access as a right and that the only restrictions should be exemptions for protection of maybe privacy um and wildlife and that kind of thing. Like you should just be able to go anywhere. But then I grew up in Scotland, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes a difference. But I
2: was quite excited to see that after all this sort of wild camping judgment, um the Labour's shadow environment secretary, Alex Sobel, tweeted about it and said Uh, They don't find it. Our national parks should be open to all and access to Dartmoor is integral to that. Labour will expand the right to roam as part of our programme for government. So Mm. I think now we need to start pressing them on, Okay, what do you mean by expand the right to roam? Do you just mean increase the areas where you can roam on foot? Or do you mean expand the activities that can be included as a right to roam? So I think Mm. that'll be the next thing is pushing before the next election to try and get that in Labour's manifesto.
3: Yeah, I think That'd be the really good gre- it's already in the Green Party manifesto, isn't it? Caroline Lucas has been very vocal in supporting.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's been really supportive of that. So, yeah, hopefully kind of moving, moving in that direction if we keep poking them. <laughs>
5: and 365 day returns.
3: Well, that, that leads us probably nicely onto what we're looking forward to and what we're not looking forward to in the year ahead. Because, god damn it, I'd love an election. <laughs> 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 so, uh, go on, Mark. Let's start with some, let's start with the negativity. What are you not looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: Well, I think you've reported on this particularly, so I hope I'm not going to steal your thunder here. But never mind, uh, never. the bike industry is not looking forward to 2023, I don't think. I think we've already sadly seen a few um, casualties. There's been some uh, brands that have left us already because of the economic climate that we're in. So we've lost, um, is it Velovixen? We've lost? Velovixen, yep. um, Stanton. Stanton's gone. Gosh. and it's it's an interesting I, I don't know whether this is a, it's more of a perspective I want to put on this because I think we all our listeners will be aware that the, the the year ahead is is looking fairly bleak commercially uh, there is a slight upside to that in the fact that over the last few years there's been some tremendous mistakes made with ordering things. And there's a big overstocking in the supply chain right now. And that's all going to have that's only going to go one way. And that's going to end up coming through to the to the consumer. So there is potential that there's going to be some bargains to be had this year. So that's on the good side. But that isn't a good thing overall for the bike industry, I don't think, because they're going to have to start dumping stock to try and get rid of it, to try and free up that supply chain. And that's never a good thing for any business when they start dumping stock like that, because they just don't make the money that they need to make on it. And since we're already seeing casualties of the, you know, people, you know, companies really struggling, I think, unfortunately, we're probably going to see quite a few more this year. One aspect on this, so just to try and help our listeners sort of get a little bit of context from this, because there's a there's a there's a contradiction an argument that's a contradiction out there, which is that wait a minute, companies are going bust, and yet, for example, Checks Notes specialised to selling a bike that costs fourteen thousand pounds. If you've got companies selling bikes at fourteen thousand pounds, how can they be struggling? Surely, and this is we see this all the time in the comments. Sure, and it's a totally understandable position. Surely, somebody's coining it in if a bike can cost that much money. I mean, albeit an e-bike, but if but. I just want to just put some numbers on this to add a little bit of context. Um, Hannah, you've been doing some digging around, and you've actually got some financial information that you've got out of Specialize, the company. And we know, don't we, that their accounts, the last filed accounts for Specialize showed that they turned over uh, uh, 97 million pounds.
3: This is the uh, this is the accounts that they filed
1: in the UK. Is it is that right? Yes. Yeah. So they they filed turnover of ninety seven million pounds in the UK. They've recorded a profit on that of just three million. So that's a profit margin of just three percent. can Might explain take. why and, they
3: laid off eight percent of their staff worldwide.
1: Exactly. So they've laid. they specialized global have just laid off eight percent of their global staff. Now but they're selling bikes for £14,000. So if they are coining it in, none of that makes any sense, unless you conclude that even a bike that costs £14,000, the margin on it is not great. And therefore, no one is coining it in. I don't know... Ben, you've been in the bike industry almost as long as I have. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know any rich people in the bike industry? (laughs) Um, <clears throat> who's coining it in? I'll tell you,
0: the thing...
3: There's <laughs> hedge fund managers that um, own Dartmoor.
1: Because <laughs> we
0: get sent a lot of, what do they call them, flagship, or what's the top level bike we always, not always, but often get sent and then that, the whole comments is just about how much it costs and it's like, you just, you know, talk, let's talk about the bike rather. Than, but possibly, why we have such conspicuously expensive bikes is because people are buying them because rich people are still rich. And people aren't buying three and 4,000 quid bags because low to medium, median range people have no effing money. So that's why they're selling the expensive ones because they've still got money. No one who's got money is struggling in 2023. That's yep. how things are. So if I was running that up here, why are we trying to sell loads of, Bike that only earn a thousand quid profit. Why don't we sell them that earn seven quid, seven thousand quid profit? You know, it it's makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because you see, that's, I that's live in a is... bloody crappy part of the Northwest and there's people going past on ten granders. There's not very many, there's more people going past on ten granders than going past on three granders where I am. <laughs> that's what they're doing, isn't it? So, um, what was the question? I don't know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm hearing is that it's the it's the lower end of the market that. Yeah. It coincides with e bikes. So,
0: like, like, but... it's, it's like my. Uh, it's a special case, but like, my brother would buy bikes every two years, and now he's got that conundrum like, I don't really. There's a bike here that's four grand, that's normal, and there's an e bike for six, and it's like a being inexorably drawn towards the middle ground of buying nothing well i normally just for two years I've flogged that bike I'll get the new one um, but should I be getting the bike because they're obviously creeping in is that a go on a couple and you know it's I think a lot of reason might be that I don't and then the whole um, I don't know cuz I don't really ride where there's a great deal of, of um, um anyone well if you i don't like go and ride where do people ride i don't know flandegla or something i don't really know what the percentage of e-bikes are to normal e-bikes to me it feels like they've not quite taken over like i thought they would have done by now um well it's interesting we've got a poll we've got a poll
1: page haven't we where we we've been Mm. asking loads of questions for almost the last six months and one of those questions is um do you have an e-bike and the answers that you can choose are, yes, I have an e-bike. No, but I'm planning to buy one in the next 12 months. And no, I do not have an e-bike. And when you add up the yeses and the no, but I intend to buy one, it's it's about
0: 40%. Mm.
1: So they are there. And if, if the intention, the intention one, I think you can kind of take with a pinch of salt. People say, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy one in the next 12 months. But yeah, you might find you, you can't do that. So but there's a significant number, I'd say, like a third out there of mountain bikes that we we that certainly in our readership, Mm. you know, a third of bikes out there are probably e-bikes and they are they are really expensive. But, yeah, I mean, my in in summary for me, before I move on and let you talk about the, we're doing the bad things, aren't we, Hannah? We are. Yes. So, right, well, so my summary is that overstocking in the system, the industry itself is going to struggle this year. It's going to be really, really hard. That might kind of manifest itself in some good news for bargain hunters, but that's not a good thing for the industry. And I think we're going to see uh, some more casualties through the year. And please don't believe the hype that just because a bike costs 14000 that company isn't necessarily coining it in. Specialized certainly isn't and they're cutting back. And even Giant have actually gone to all their suppliers and said, we're not going to pay you in 30 days. We're going to pay you in 60. Giant is Something the like biggest- Something like
3: Yeah, they're delayed, it, didn't they? Yeah. They're
1: delaying payments, to their suppliers. And Giant is the biggest bike company in the world.
3: And they're not the only ones is what I'm hearing as well. But, so the, end, the, the reason that we know about the Giant one is that the, their letter to their suppliers was leaked. And it's all subject to an NDA, so we shouldn't know about it. Um, and we've only got the vaguest terms, like it's been reported in local Taiwan press and stuff. But what I'm hearing is that there are other companies that have made the same deferrals of payments. It's just that those NDA, those um, like notifications, haven't been leaked out into the public, and so we haven't got like official confirmation of these things.
1: Right. Well, that's me done. Mm. So moving on. Who Let's else has got really Sophie. bad news? Go on, Sophie. Sophie. What are
3: you not looking forward to?
2: <laughs> Mine feels very trivial and unprofound compared to Mark's, but I'm just just—I'm not looking forward to like another two months of just cycling around in the rain. I'm quite ready for it to be light and a bit more warm and dry, really. Well, as, as we speak, <laughs> it's snowing, <laughs>
3: yeah. It's well, nice, that,
2: that might add a bit of interest, I snow, suppose. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it'll just, be there for 20 I use my minutes. bike for all of my journeys. I don't have a car. So I can't, don't really have an option of, of the warm, dry one. You know, if it's
3: raining, I'm mm. like, out oh, we go then. <laughs> how long's oh, well, your in commute? That case, Sophie. Yeah, well, I, I'm, more important how long the commute is, Mark. What gloves do you wear, Sophie? Because I'm still searching for the perfect winter gloves.
2: Uh well, I think you know, when it went really cold for a couple of weeks in December, I evidently complained very vocally to all of my friends and family about how cold my hands were getting, because <laughs> then for Christmas I got given several pairs of gloves and some of those big pogey things that go on the handlebars, oh, yeah. which I haven't tried because it hasn't been cold enough. Um Yeah, but, so
3: that's the thing is it's not so much the cold, it's the wet. It's the, it's British, the wet when it's so wet through. with yeah. cold. Yeah, I have not found the perfect pair. I'm still on the hunt. Let me know. I did if you get find some them.
2: good ones that are working quite well, but I can't remember the brand name now so oh. i'll have to let you know <laughs>
1: yeah benji hates gloves he's it's I'd official yeah i'd rather not
0: wear them yeah, yeah. i
3: want benji them. what are you not looking forward to then apart from being forced to wear gloves
1: Um,
0: I'm generally fairly optimistic really um yeah we're getting to that bit to. we're yeah, gonna have a big
1: finish on the positive but yeah. right now you got to tell us what you what you're not looking forward to <laughs>
3: Oh my god, I'm getting really excited about this snow. It's coming up, Ooh. it's going down and up at the same time. It's like blowing around.
0: I'm looking forward to. It. I don't know. Uh, it's a heating bill whenever that happens. <laughs> yes. That's about it really. Um, like we
1: said before the, we started recording, wearing coats inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, 2023's fashion trend. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. I've got a, I've got several hats around me, <laughs> which I've been wearing while I've been sat at my desk.
0: MOT. That's not for a while. Um, I don't think it'll pass, <laughs> just things to do with money, innit? Other than that, it's all right, I can ignore that for a while. Um, oh well, I'll go then, to... not know. Yeah, Benji's just... way too optimistic for this podcast it section, really I've got he's opti- got the voice
3: I... of optimism there, like, I'm pointly, <laughs>
0: pointly resigned to the fact that's but I'm optimistic. It's like, what is the point of moaning? I've got to that point where it's like, just. But you know, get on with things it <laughs> don't change unless you moan, either. But I'm a bit, mm. little bit bored of hearing moaning. To be quite frank. <laughs> we well,
3: I am going to moan some more, Benji, because right. uh, I am not looking forward to this. Sounds really dull. I'm not looking forward to the retained EU law revocation and reform bill. Oh yeah, <laughs> which sounds super dull, but it's basically. Jacob Rees-Mogg's uh, like, mopping up of everything that we got by way of protection from Europe um, uh, in old Brexit, pre-Brexit laws and um, like scrapping a bunch of them. And I know that people are like, I don't want to hear about politics, this stuff doesn't matter, that's why I ride bikes and things. But that bill contains all sorts of like really important environmental protections, like which pesticides you can use, um, whether you can pump shit into the water, uh, all kinds of stuff for the environment, um, all kinds of employment um, laws. So sick pay and holiday pay and um, working time limits and all that sort of stuff. So some of the stuff that means that we can enjoy going out and riding our bikes and our holidays. Um, And yeah, uh, just loads of rights that we've all got used to having are all contained within that bill and they're proposing to scrap them all and they want to rush it through before the end of the year um, because presumably they think there might be an election Um, and not only that but they actually give in it a lot of powers to ministers so that instead of having to go before parliament and get approvals like ratified by other MPs the minister will just be able to go yeah that sounds like a good piece of technology I'll just sign that off and like for some things like uh, environmental protections and pesticides and things I feel like I would quite like some other people to look at it and there's such a lack of accountability isn't it yeah like why putting all that power in the hands of one person um, there's a
1: there's a site cy- yeah. Sophie be able to advise on this. See if I've got this right because I think Cycling UK were involved in this. And, but we might be going back about twenty odd years. But because of our uh, inheritance of laws from you know the standardisation of laws across the EU, uh, I remember the issue around about twenty years ago. And I bet Ben remembers this around bike lights and the fact that LED lights, real lights, were technically illegal in the mm-hmm. UK because our laws were so archaic that it required. Uh, it required filament bulbs in all <laughs> bike lights, and because LEDs, as a techn- LEDs, are, don't have filaments, that made them technically illegal. But it was because of the um, EU sort of association with laws that meant that when one law is uh, enforcing one part of the EU, that it becomes standard across. So basically, it meant that the UK couldn't rely on that law to prosecute anybody, and so de facto, because of our our involvement with the EU and our our being part of the EU, it meant that LED lights were legal because that trumped the British law. So, is that is that am I remembering that right, Sophie? Is that kind of do you remember that?
2: Yeah, I forgot the bit about the filament bulbs. That's really random, isn't it? But (laughs) uh, yeah, there's. That there was a weird situation for quite a while, wasn't there, where flashing ones technically weren't legal <laughs> and yes, sort of, yeah, eventually yep. it caught up and you could just use flashing ones instead of a steady one. But yeah, it's... But but we then even have... then, the German regulations that they're supposed to comply with are incredibly strict, and I think there's a lot of lights that are sold in the UK that don't comply with them, but ah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, as long as it's red at the back and white at the front, you're
3: fine, aren't you? <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I just
1: imagine that Reese Muggies are going to be taking us back to candles. <laughs> You know, well, so... And, what? And lanterns what, on lights. <laughs> yeah,
3: top hats. Yeah. What this um, law do, does, as currently drafted, is it kind of leaves a big bunch of gaps in the law, which would mean that there'll have to be lots of expensive court cases for judges to then kind of redefine the law. And as we've just seen in Dartmoor, judges don't always make great informed decisions. So, mm. yeah, so I'm not looking forward to that. Let's move on because it makes me angry. Mark, cheer me up with some things you're looking forward to.
1: <laughs> oh, well, we've got by now, by the time that our listeners are listening to this, there will be on the website an article all about this bit, isn't there? All about the stuff that we're all looking forward to. That's, um, that's, that's there. Go and check that out on the website now. I'm just going to kind of just fill in what I put on there in the fact that I think I've I've alluded to the fact that I think from, re, from a consumer point of view, we can probably look forward to a few bargains popping up this year. But like I said, that's caveated by the fact that's not good news for the industry. But in terms of me personally, what I'm looking forward to, I'm actually for some I have ridden the last three years or so, four years, maybe almost exclusively on e-bikes and I love them. I think they, they are the they're 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 here to stay. And if there's any haters out there, I think most of the haters are just people who still have not had a go on one. So I love e-bikes. I absolutely love e-bikes. However, I've woken up from Christmas with this urge to ride my bike that doesn't have a motor. I don't know where that urge has come from. I look out the window at the weather and the last thing I want to do is go pedaling up a massive hill in this drizzle. But for some reason, for this year, I'm actually looking forward to riding my non-e-bike and I've made plans to do that. I'm going to take it and do some adventures, go up some big hills and get back into riding under my own steam. Not that I'm eschewing e-bikes for one moment, I'll still ride e-bikes, but I've just got this urge to ride my non-motorised bike and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, In in that regard, I've got a holiday booked in uh, August. It won't surprise Hannah and Benji to hear that I'm going back to Whistler. (laughs) Oh. Uh, it's it's my wife's fiftieth, and so she says she wants to go ride bikes in Whistler, and we'll be going there for about ten days, riding non e bikes, and I'm really looking forward to it. And so you're gonna
3: like ride chainless, go full park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we I mean we've been before in the summer, and it's brilliant as Whistler, but it's not all about the park. I remember last time we went for a week, and I think we only did two days in the park. There's so much proper riding outside of Whistler. It's it's amazing. So, yeah, so the plan is we'll do some park stuff because why wouldn't you? You know, uh, but we're going to be out riding up mountains and riding down mountains, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. So, that's what I'm looking forward to this year. That's really cool,
2: isn't it? It shows they've got the sort of the gateway model bang on where you've like, you've got everything there, you've got your facilities, and then you can start off with the, the marked trails. And then it's also a bit you can go out from and, and explore.
1: You're absolutely right. And I think it, it has everything for every mountain biker, even though its rep probably is more extreme and bike parky, but that's just kind of when you look at the scope of what's available over there in BC, that's just a small part of what's on offer for mountain bikers. I mean, I've, I've said before, if, if, if Disney did mountain biking, they'd just do Whistler. That would be it. Can you imagine it,
3: it, if Disney did mountain biking?
1: It <laughs> would be awful, wouldn't really.
3: <laughs> oh, that might have to become an article like if Disney did mountain bike <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the merch. It'd <laughs> be amazing.
1: Oh, dear. Oh, I, I want to they- hear what ben- I want to hear what Benji's looking forward
0: to.
3: Oh God, since you were so positive sounding, I'm yeah. looking forward um, to hearing Benji's positive voice after just, hearing posi- his not positive posi- voice. Positivity
0: in ponds. I was thinking about Disney Plus bikes. There you go. <laughs> um, I've got eight things I'm looking forward to, wow. officially. Wow. I've just added another one. In order, that'll be quite brief, I don't think I've ridden in North Wales for th- two or three years. So I'm going to go back there and do non-park. Inverted commas. There's uh, some
3: very good trail building going on in North Wales. Yeah. Um I, wish I would talk about it.
0: <laughs> what else is there? Uh, nerdy things. I'd like to have a go on more Fazua bikes. Blah, blah. New e-motor. Emo- uh, go riding with kids a bit more. My kids particularly. If I don't want to ride <laughs> oh, imagine with, riding with other people's kids. Oh. Uh, what else have I got? Disc brakes getting even better, more reliable, easier to bleed, ones that stay month in, month out. We've had some really good ones from Hope, and hopefully that will herald of all people. I mean, that's quite weird, isn't it? I mean, you, 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 a lot of people wouldn't have gone for Hope for over the past long time, would have gone for someone else. People who, like me, would have died in the old Shimano, have just had enough of them. We're probably going to put hopes back on the bike, which feels a bit 1996, but there we are. Uh, possibly like a new mud tire from Schwalbe with a good name to counteract the Maxxis Shorty 2. Downhill World Cup, I hope will be a success. And I think it will be. I also think it will be absolutely, totally made up as they go. But <laughs> that, in my mind, I'd rather have that than UCI slickness, all right? And including Red, Red Bull. What's good about Red Bull? The guy who used to talk over it, nothing about Red Bull is good about Red Bull. I have to edit that, but, but there you go. No way, um, we're
1: definitely keeping that.
0: <laughs> SRAM obviously has done some kind of e-bike thing going on. Uh, I hope it's better than I think it might be, because it looks like it's just, is that it? Uh, and a personal note, I like the way my bike is becoming more and more simple. It's got coils on it, it's got push-on grips, it's got flat pedals, it's basically turning into... A bike from 1996 that's the right shape and that's a lot better than faffing around. Um, I think that's eight. There you go loads of you're looking forward to
3: modern nostalgia then, you're just stuck in 1996
0: basically. No, I'm quite glad. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say about, talk, about, what was I talk about? about companies making, not making money, bikes have ceased getting interesting, which is, I don't think they've quite got there yet, but for some reason, Everyone thinks, oh, geometry is as far as we're going with it. And bikes haven't changed for two or three years, have they? So why would you buy a 2023 bike when it's not much different from your 2021 bike? You won't, unless it's got a motor and you're deferring over that because of all kinds of cost or shame or commitment uh, reasons. It'd be nice if there were some companies who would still do something a bit more with. Uh, just I don't know. How long have I talked boringly about head angles? Twenty five years or something. I mean, for God's sake, and it's we're not there yet. People think, oh, we got there. No, so you're so near. Everyone's <laughs> looking at seat angles now and reach and things and chainstays. Are finally getting it. And no, we we hadn't. we just got so near. But yet again, I've got an, an angle set headset coming from Works Components because a bike isn't right at the front, again. <laughs> but for some reason, people think slack head angles equal bloody frigging blah, like was Peter Sagan riding in 200 people on a bunch on an Italian road. We're not. We're, we're, you know, stability is everything on a mountain bike, because stability is not boring. Stability makes you have more fun.
2: I'm you looking forward to another year goodbye. of
3: Benji's rants.
0: just annoying, isn't it? That was brilliant. Well, there we are. So that's nine. No, that was that negative? I can't remember. Maybe both. <laughs> Thankfully, people, works components and whoever does them still do... Uh... That's what I'm looking forward to. Works components doing headsets in colours. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Get in.
2: That's a bit I can understand. The geometry bit right over my head. Different colours I can get excited about.
0: Yeah, it's fine, isn't it? good. Well Brilliant. Good old Rick. It's just one guy in a, in a bloody factory, isn't it? It's well go on what then, Sophie. What think? are you
3: looking forward to?
4: How do you <clears throat> follow that?
2: Looking forward to, well, I'm going to go with something completely different <laughs> that doesn't mention bikes at all because I can't possibly compete with that. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to getting a bit more vocal about the Welsh government not doing a lot about their pledge to increase access which was four years ago now well almost it was spring 2019 they said we're going to look at making rights of way multi-use by default and increase access right multi-user access rights on on access land and and since then they've had sort of lots of working groups which we've been involved with and you know sort of discussing how are we going to implement these how's it going to work in practice and that got delayed by covid and went on and on um and then it sort of yeah ended up with a report which rather than making clear recommendations just sort of outlined the options and said there you go welsh government you decide and and they still haven't decided so i think we're kind of bringing back our Trails for Wales campaign from a few years ago to sort of say, all right, then are you going to actually do this and, and make it happen? So I'm quite looking forward to that. And um, I mm. mean, obviously, they're still five years ahead of, of England, you know, <laughs> talking about trying to get it into Labour's manifesto for the next <laughs> next election. Wales are always ahead. At least they've said they're going to do it. Um, but yeah, that would be really good if they actually start showing how th- this could work in practice. We've been talking about maybe, you know, a few trial areas in, for example, national parks and um, sort of test it it in some locations and say okay great this is how it could work and and how we can move things forward uh, um, nationally so uh, yeah we'll have to sort of see how that progresses and whether we can finally get some movement on it rather than just getting pushed down the agenda Mm. and then on a sort of more personal note i'm hoping to um, potentially ride the pennine rally this year which sort of excites me and terrifies me in equal measure because (laughs) I've done kind of 100k a day back to back on, you know, nice touring, cycle paths, easy smooth surfaces. But yeah, doing it sort of off-road up and down many, many steep hills from Edinburgh to Manchester feels a little bit like yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that adventure pans out. Exactly.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yes, Wales actually. I I thought before Christmas that there was going to be something really, exciting on the like trail building uh, front to announce and then it's gone really quiet like it looked like they were on the brink of doing something really positive and now it's all gone quiet so yes i'd like to see some shuffling in that direction as well mm. so and what am i looking forward to
1: yeah go on uh, inspire I, us
3: in- inspire you well yeah i can't yeah, all of you should just go out and get married no <laughs> 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 that's what I'm looking forward to But I'm...
0: First. Hmm? I have to get divorced first
3: oh, I've already done that bit <laughs> <laughs> no I'm looking forward to getting married because it means that my partner can be here and then I will have a riding partner like all the time somebody mm-hmm. I'll have like a a virtual spaniel living in the house. He's like, come on, let's go out and play. Let's go out and play. (laughs) And so when like all this snow is falling down uh, now, he would be like, come on, leave the work. Let's go outside. You can count it as testing feel
1: I feel a little uh, context is required here because if any of our listeners don't know your personal situation, what you just said sounds like you've got some sort of uh, mail order husband on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If only it
3: was that simple.
1: It's it's Kevin or Fajar as his as his handle is known on our website is your intended and he currently lives in the US doesn't he is it Utah Yeah yeah yes. so he's he's coming over here finally
3: mm-hmm. And it's not like this is not a green card situation like we do actually you know, want to spend our lives together but we have yeah. to do have to actually get married um, for that because yeah he's a US citizen so um, yeah. Trying to do the paperwork for that.
1: These Americans coming over here, stealing our jobs. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no one will employ you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, so, yeah, is, is, so, yeah, is that
3: it? Are we, nice finished have a, are we finished on a high? I think so, surely. And the sun's just come out. There is now actual white snow over all the hills and blue sky. I think Hannah's just looking like forward like
2: to bunking off the rest of the day and going
1: down <laughs> the snow. Yeah, that's, that's clearly where we're building. <laughs> Do you know
3: what, though? I did a really wet, cold ride on an e-bike the other night, and I just didn't plug it back into charge again. So I've made a real fatal error there, because there's like mm. 20% left on it. And I want to ride it now. So. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Sophie, for joining us today. Um, everyone listening, uh, check out the story on the website because we'll put in a few links in there to the some of the access campaigns that are going on that you might wish to get involved with uh, now that you've listened to the nonsense on Dartmoor so <laughs> thanks very much for joining us and uh, thanks very much for listening goodbye, goodbye. bye,
1: bye.